Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to another episode of The Future of Football. It's the only podcast that brings you closer to the people, the stories and the ideas that are shaping the future of the game we love. Now, we've been dropping big topics and big guests since we started this journey a few episodes ago, but we've got something a little bit different today. We're throwing things well and truly open, and at long last, I look before me and I see a complete five-a-side squad from the Versus alumni, with every team member stepping out of the shadows and backing themselves to drop a clinic on the microphone this time out. So, joining myself, Corey, we have, as always, Mayowa. Yo, yo, yo. Lewis. How's it going? Johnny. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. And last but not least, Jacob, what language are you bringing today? I was going to go hello, but I don't know, just Johnny just got me on the German German wave. But yeah, just hi. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. So look, man, today we're going to get into something a little bit different and share our thoughts on a story that has been bubbling beneath the surface for a little while now, probably the last year. And it's one that we, as versus, as connoisseurs of all things young ballers and football products, have some pretty strong opinions and thoughts on which is the revolution we're seeing around athlete and brand partnerships, um, like some major talking points right over the last year in terms of how all the big brands are operating. Puma, last summer, shocked the world and essentially dropped every bag to bring Neymar to the brand. Nike has done a lot of consolidation and lost around 40 players reportedly from their contracts, including guys like Thiago, Sergio Ramos, Raheem Sterling, and more. New Balance, famously lost the rights to Liverpool, but they've doubled down on grassroots and new-gen football. And, you know, this week they've just signed Bukayo Saka as like a massive headline sponsor. And their innovative partnership with Beatty squad keeps on rolling. Meanwhile, Adidas really keep on ticking along. But the big question that exists there is what they do once Leo Messi kind of finally departs the big stage. So what we wanted to do is bring our team together. All of us have different experiences of working with brands players on both storytelling and commercial levels to try and explain a lot of the things that are going on in this scene and contextualize some of the latest developments and ultimately predict what the future holds between ballers and brands. So if we start off just with the most recent development, which was Bakayo Saka's signing to New Balance over the last week, what did we make of that decision when it was made public? And what do we think that move does for Bakayo Saka and for New Balance, throwing it to Johnny to kick us off. Well done to New Balance on this one. Well done, New Balance. They've smashed it with this. Um, I think it's obviously undeniable that Bakaya Saka is one of the most exciting players in the Premier League, who's English. You know, he ticks a lot of boxes. But for him, the decision makes a lot of sense to me as well. You know, to be obviously not the main face of the brand, but the, you know, the highest profile English player is a huge opportunity. You know, Corey, you mentioned it. The fact that New Balance doesn't have a club affiliation as well almost kind of guarantees that in, in their marketing he's going to be the centre of attention. I think he would have been very aware of that on signing. I'm sure it would be discussed. I think that's nice for New Balance as well. You know, it gives them the flexibility to really concentrate on empowering, uplifting, you know, making him as an individual, like an aspirational person for their brand. And the other thing as well is that, you know, from a cultural and lifestyle perspective away from football, New Balance is really going from strength to strength. You know, as like a youth culture brand, it's finally, you know, I don't want to sound too harsh, but like standing on its own two feet and becoming very credible. And I think that as like a young, cool person, Pakaya Saka would be very aware of that. So I think all rounds, 
like well done New Balance, like well done Saka. It's a move that makes total sense. I was going to say um, the reason why I find this one interesting is because, as you've mentioned, they have said that they're changing their sort of strategy. And in order to understand how they've changed their strategy, you just have to look back at what they were. I mean, Sadio Mane is like the football guy. Kawhi Leonard is the basketball guy. But if we think back to a few years ago, like New Balance athletes were, let's say, top-level athletes, but they weren't like your superstars. It was kind of like Kabai, Company, Yanazai, Fellaini. It wasn't sort of headline acts. And I feel like maybe that was their entry to the game and it was almost kind of, you know what, we might find it hard to compete at the top, but let's get into the game. But what they've realised now is um, there's a generation of young football stars that are so talented, have so much cultural relevance, can add so much value to you that they can tap into it. And Kai Osaka is, is the bread and butter definition of that. Like he's socially, he's there. Um, the way he speaks in interviews, the way he presents himself, he's there. But if you look at what's happened as well, you're seeing loads of ballers wear New Balance accessories, which makes you think, okay, are they? is this a new approach trying to get the exciting ballers, keep them in, and not only just keep them to football, but like was said in the soccer thing, they're lifestyle athletes as well. They're not just, it's not just a football boot deal. It's your part of the brand. Is There's so much power to that. So it is, I mean, fair play to them for for understanding it, seeing where the the movement was happening and, and trying to get there early. It's, like, it's going to be exciting to see who else is part of this dynasty they're building. Yeah, I mean, who's the bigger winner here from this, do you think? Is it Saka or New Balance? I'd say both, you know. I mean, what, Sadio Mane, Saka. Like, in terms of football, that's it. And he then has this ability to be a figurehead. He may not be the main one, but he is there. Not many ballers get that opportunity to ever, to ever really be, like, I'm the main guy at the moment. Like, a lot of people, if you look at other brands, you kind of wear someone else's silhouette. Like, he has the opportunity to be the face of that, which is massive for him. But for the brand as well, I mean, once you've got someone like that in, people will be thinking, oh, I want to join this as well. If he's getting some of that, I'm, I want to get some of that. So it's it's probably half and half for me in, in that perspective. We don't know how big that bag is. That's Neymar-level, you know, bags from New Balance to, like, Saka, then clearly he's winning. But I, th- I feel like in terms of what New Balance needed, like Saka didn't need New Balance, New Balance needed Saka. Mm. So to get like the hottest guy in the league other than maybe Phil Foden, you know, that is just game changing, I think for them. Everyone's now looking at them like, oh shit, maybe the product is actually hard. I see comments on social thinking, you know what? That's actually decent. It looks like a mercurial, so be it. Like if it comes out in a different colorway and Saka's wearing it, I'll probably, you know, buy that now. So I feel like that, alone is why that works so well for New Balance but um, like Saka he was wearing Adidas before I thought that was like a done deal I thought he would be the next guy for them like who have they got other than that like Dybala Jao Felix maybe like they need someone closer to home and he was like that guy potentially um, so New Balance snatching him up that's huge yeah I think obviously like New Balance I'm sure in the last obviously after losing Liverpool as the sponsor we all saw the reports coming out that they were going to be like doing this very thing where they're like targeting not only Baytees as a kind of grassroots organisation but also like players that are on the come up exciting 
and they've been so on the pulse with the selection of Saka. Like, there's not a fan of the Premier League who, who doesn't get excited by watching him play. And the other people that they've got potentially lined up, um, also very, very exciting on the pulse players. Um, obviously, not to be, they haven't announced it yet, but you, you see Harvey Elliott donning the New Balance headband, like liking the posts on Instagram. You see Eze at Palace training in the new Furons. Like, mm. these are two guys which are just like fit that category. Young English, like real exciting players. And, you know, like that, that curation and like that getting those kind of players early and creating this kind of like, messaging was like okay we're we're about these new ballers we're about this new breed of player we're 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 affiliated with this new exciting brand of football that is a seriously good look for new balance yeah no it's crazy and i was i remember attending the new balance football launch event in what must have been like autumn 2015 Mm. and the contrast between the players they had at the time then and the vibe of that event (laughs) to the vibe they're trying to create now is so stark like i remember going there and it was like Aaron Ramsey, Vincent Company, um, Fernando, not Fernandinho, Fernando, um, Alvaro Negredo, Marouane Fellaini, all like dressed in buttoned up polo shirts, like very, very close to boot cut jeans <laughs> and like some fairly plain and stayed like just classic New Balance sneakers. Um, Kevin Morales as well. Morales was a couple of years later when they kind yeah, of got yeah, yeah. a bit more they were really weird. Like they went at the start for like um, sort of like dad casual sort of style vibe, and for some reason, as if like I think their previous time in football, right? Brian Robson was their main ambassador, and I felt like they were still looking at Brian Robson as the, the style guide for how they launched the brand again, which is kind of mad. And then like a year or two later, they got quite technical, and like all of their graphics, like they were straight from like a sci-fi film or something, and like they had like the bright glow boots and everything. Um, and it's like it's taken them four or five years, but I feel like now they've actually got a sense of where there's a real gap in the marketplace. Like this whole idea around kind of building a brand around new gen football culture, which is what the Beatty squad partnership represents so clearly, which is what Saka represents and which is what, as Jake was mentioned, Eze and Harvey Elliott, if that becomes official, represents as well. They're really coalescing their storytelling and their brand around new gen talent, which is something that no other brand has really tried to do on mass and at scale and like we've said for a long time right internally i remember like when we met puma when we've worked on puma campaigns even like speaking casually as a team we felt that that was a really big open goal for puma to go after like i remember again i went to an event in what was it 2018 remember we went jacob on that rooftop thing that yeah, car yeah. park and like yeah. i interviewed Eunice musa when he was a puma athlete yeah. when he was 14 i think um and that was like well okay they've got this young guy he's obviously destined for amazing things in the years since, he's played at Valencia and for the US men's team. It's like if they followed that path of representing new gen talent, I feel like their brand would be in a really healthy place. But that gap seems to have really been taken by New Balance quite quickly and aggressively, um, which I think is sick to see. And it's obviously in such huge contrast to what we've seen with them and Neymar. Um, like they almost went from what we could see, they went from being the brand that reps next gen players for like six months or so to be in the brand that went, screw that, we're going to go full 180 and sign the world's biggest player in Neymar, basically, or one of the world's biggest players. When that move happened, what was the reaction in the room to see a Neymar join Puma? For me, it was almost um, representative of Neymar's career. I mean, 
everyone knows that he's such a gifted footballer. But of course, in his time, he's had two of the best footballers ever in front of him. So he's never almost been able to kind of stake claim to that. And that was part of his reason for moving to PSG because it was like, you know what, I want to cement my legacy away from someone's shadow. And then this move kind of replicates that. You've got two of the best footballers ever, uh, two other brands. For him, it was like, okay, I've had the signature beat and everything, but I still don't have that moment where I'm cementing a legacy at when when my time of football's done, people look at it and go, wow, what have I done? He's still chasing the, the Champions League, of course, but this moment felt like another way of him trying to do that. Of course, Puma have that legacy and heritage of the Puma King with Maradona and Pele, and it seems like maybe he and the brand looked at that and said, you know what, maybe this is the narrative you can go down and secure and be part of your legacy. So it's... um. It's not one I would have ever thought would happen, but as soon as it happens, you look at it, you connect the dots and you kind of go, I, I can see where they're going with this. For me, I think May's touched on it, but I think that if you look at where Puma's heritage is, you know, with two of the greatest players of all time, you know, I have no doubt. The name I would have looked at that and thought, you know, this is my opportunity to come in whilst I'm still of an age where I can, you know, lay my claim to be kind of the third amongst them. Of course, you know, his main rivals that play at the moment are already in that conversation. But the other thing from a Puma perspective is their roster needed uplifting. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do from here. But of course, in preparation for this call, I looked at, you know, who else they've got because I had some idea and it's not very pretty, I think, is the reality. So I think that in terms of genuine global appeal it was really important for them to go out and get someone of this level of talent you know first and foremost the other thing is that I do think it is a match that's relatively well made you know Puma acts differently to the other brands and I think the Neymar acts differently to other players you know we've talked tonight in previous conversations but Neymar is not the coolest player in the world he's extremely gifted and I think that Puma isn't the coolest brand in the world, but in terms of performance and products, has a lot to offer. So for me, like culturally, it's a nice matchup. Yeah, I think obviously like for both parties, it made a lot of sense. Neymar, as we know, loves the bag, loves chasing it, wants to be top boy. And like they probably presented this, right, you're going to wear a Puma King boot. You are the king. You are the new king. And he was just like, right, I'm all over that top boy and everything throughout his career has kind of been geared to him being this that the top boy in his eyes it's like if he moves to PSG I'm going to be the top boy there like you know Barca he felt like he wasn't quite the top boy alongside you know Adidas's top athlete in Messi and then you know even to an extent goes to P you know he's at PSG and Mbappe is like the top boy at Nike and it's like he's 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 still not the like the elite guy at this brand so for him he's like he's definitely unhappy to play you know sideman to like these, these these top level top level talents and he was like no i am a top level talent i am going to be mr puma so yeah it, it just made a lot of sense for him just to kind of just as ever like kind of chase the limelight there be the top boy and yeah, now he's firmly, firmly that for Puma. I actually think the one, the one thing that does hold true as a parallel is that, like Puma traditionally, 
the third brand in football behind Adidas and Nike. Um, and that order usually stays the same, to be fair. But Puma have had like some crazy record-breaking years over the last couple of couple of couple of years. Um, and I think their ambition isn't really anymore to sort of be content with being a third, but they really want to challenge the two major brands that exist in this space. And I feel like to do that credibly, you probably do need one of the top, 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 top athletes in the world to stake your claim against Nike and Ronaldo, to stake your claim against Adidas and Messi. You need a Neymar to be part of that conversation. That's the natural, the natural third wheel to that discussion is Neymar. So I think it, what it does do is crystallize the brand's ambitions a little bit to be one of the biggest players in the space on a long-term basis in that maybe a way that focusing your strategy around young ballers as New Balance have done it might never do that for your brand. I guess it might never take you to that next level and make you the all-encompassing behemoth, the leader in the space that you want it to be. Um, I think New Balance, yeah, like we said, their youth strategy is amazing, but I think their ambitions are probably different to Puma's. Yeah. Well, I would say there, though, is I feel like New Balance's strategy with the young ballers is one that can pay dividend in years to come. I mean, if you get, let's say, six of the hottest ballers coming up like between the ages of 18 to 19, by the time they get to 25 and establish themselves, you have something, you almost reap the benefits of what the Adidas is and the Nikes have always managed to have where they can just go and get the best talent. And by the time they become big, oh my gosh, they're everywhere. Whereas with Puma, I think then, like you're saying, their need of needing to maintain that position and push forward, they had to operate now. And mm-hmm. if you look at, this is a separate topic, but if you look at football now, there's not a lot of global superstars. Therefore, if you've got an opportunity to get the top one, you go after it. What what are we seeing now at the moment? We're seeing people try and pry, prime other top athletes from other brands. The Sterling conversation is one we've been seeing happen for two years. The Marcus Rashford one's popped up out of nowhere. It's becoming a bidding war as opposed to sort of like a, oh, I can just get you from grassroots because there's not that many top, top names anymore. If you look at Adidas's roster, like they still have an impressive roster, but you look at the names, Pogba, yeah, um, Bell, like it's not the same sort of glimmer that it used to be. So what New Balance are doing is probably the best way to go about it. You know what, get these guys that are young and hot and hopefully they keep growing. And Puma have probably done the polar opposite, but get someone that's imminently Ronaldo and Neymar going to leave the game. He's going to supposed to be top dog. We can say we have top dog in the game. I think, I mean, this question, to be fair, like maybe this is one that's all encompassing and we should have thought of at the start, but like the last few years or the last year, especially we've seen the Neymar story and the bit more there. We've seen and reported on the Sterling one for like the last year or year to two years, roughly between like the Jordan brand rumors to the Puma rumors to the Nike rumors. Again, we've seen that a lot. Rashford, as you mentioned, Mays as well, is another one that's come up like these very public battles and bidding wars to get players on side to your brand is becoming more and more important it seems to brand strategies i mean again this is probably preaching to the converted in terms of what we know and what we think but why is it so important for those brands to have those players attached what is it about footballers right now that makes them so valuable for brands to have as commodities and as ambassadors i think like player power has never been stronger like we always talk about this like the last 10 years like the world has revolved its axis on ronaldo and messi not really real madrid and barcelona (laughs) Mm. Um, when I look at like the England team obviously being a Newcastle United fan I can't really get excited about football but when I look at like the England team I look at the players involved in that like Sterling I support as much as I would 
any one of our players like at Newcastle. It's just like you follow these personalities and probably buy products because of them. Like everything that Nike have done with Sterling, everything that Marcus Rashford has done and now is obviously still related to Nike. If he did shift the Puma, I would look at it in a different light. I really would. Like if they launched a marketing campaign, if they dropped something with Rashford and it was progressive and it was, you know, it held weight, I would look at it completely differently as a brand. I think brand storytelling relies on having those players, having those stories told authentically. Um, and players are the most authentic gold dust, you know, you can find. Like products is what it is in it, right? Like you need someone to wear it. Such a good point from Lewis. And I think the general cultural fluidity of players today, that it just didn't exist 10 plus years ago. I think if you look back at, you know, the Joga Benito adverts, right? And the players that were involved in that, how culturally relevant outside of their work with Nike were those people? To be honest, like most of them, not at all in reality. You look at the players that we're talking about now, you know, you'd be like Marcus Rashford, be like Kylian Mbappe. How culturally relevant are they in terms of how they express themselves on social media, how they talk, how they dress? Like they hold the power now. And that's the real shift we've seen. You know, those brands were dictating culture 10 plus years ago. Now these players have personalities and culture of their own, you know, that they can speak on, that they influence. And that's just such a seismic shift. And I think that the brands you know, and entering these bidding wars are really recognizing that. Actually, the players are the ones leading culture now, not them. And therefore, to play in that space, they have to do it through the lens of players. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, looking at the comments uh, off the back of the, uh, you know, Saka New Balance stuff of both those activations of, like, the announcement. And then also just, like, him today, when we're recording this podcast, him bringing out, the, the boot and we're like holding it up in the, in the, in the photos in this lookbook. The comments of like, are just like, I'm copying because of Saka. I'm copying, I'm, I'm copying because of him. Mm -hmm. And if that's not an insight like to how powerful players are and, you know, shaping young people's decisions or slightly older if you're Lewis, uh, then, <laughs> then it's like, you know, it's definitely a hundred percent the way to go. New balance of, you know, it's a it's a smart chess move. Like you can just like just going off. If you Instagram comments are like a pretty nailed on way of telling you like looking at your consumer market. I'm sure New Balance Football giving us a little check out, seeing that now. Like you know, it's worked for them. It's working. I was gonna say, Johnny, what the point you made is so true. Now more than ever, social currency and influence is the most important thing. It's if you're able to tap into the social currency of a footballer, the influence of a footballer, you're laughing. We've seen it in the last year. Marcus Rashford has been so influential and away from football. Look at the amount of brands or organisations that have attributed themselves or tied themselves to him because of that social currency. It's the same thing now. Like, Bakayo Saka is such an influential player. He's like, I call him big bro at Arsenal. You tap into him, you don't only tap into the Arsenal fan base, you tap into everyone that follows him from England, you tap into everyone that follows him socially in, it, in terms of his London influence. You just get so much buy-in. And that point was so true, um, Johnny. It's not like before where the marketing to us was adverts or big moments. Those big moments have now become social and cultural references. So if you're able to tap into those naturally by getting these players on the side, 
you're completely laughing. And that's why with the Puma one, the Puma one's probably not that sort of strategy of thinking because Neymar in terms of his cultural relevance, it's not the same. You can probably tap into some different um, markets globally because of him, but the cultural and social relevance isn't there. Saka and all of these young guys, it's there, it's bubbling. Mbappe, oh my word, what what Nike did in terms of the Nike did with the, the World Cup campaign and sort of tearing up and almost like R9 and everything was a masterstroke because you almost had the best of both worlds. This guy's got social currency and you can kind of give us a throwback of what things used to be. So they leveraged that really well. But I think New Balance's approach of this, if they continue getting the right guys on board before anyone else comes to try and hijack them, is, is pretty impressive by them. Disclaimer, this podcast isn't brought to you by New Balance yet. <laughs> yeah, worthwhile trying that in there. <laughs> if we all kind of agree that the impact of the biggest players in the game is stronger now than it's ever been, does that give context and reasoning as to why Nike were happy to sort of let the contracts run out for 30 to 50 of their, I suppose, second or third tier ambassadors? Um, does it make more sense to put all your eggs into the bigger baskets, I guess? No. No, okay, go for it. Not, not, not for me at all. Like, clearly, there's a real deliberate strategy going on here. I think it's the wrong move, personally. I've, the reason why is I think it's massively at odds with the other element of football that we haven't touched on as much, which is that while, of course, football is more culturally impactful than it's ever been before, and the players are more impactful from a culture perspective, the other side that we look at on a daily basis is the kind of more community element of football and how powerful that is and I do think that turning towards just a few key athletes who are at a real elite level is at odds with that to be honest however you know if we think about what Nike are going to do next don't be surprised in my opinion if alongside on the player side they just have a few elite athletes they do something like empower the communities that they are interested in to kind of be the talent alongside these elite athletes. Mm. If they don't do something like that, then I think it's a silly move right now. Because I mean, mm-hmm. the culture part is one thing, but the you know community purposeful side is another that they're potentially going to alienate. What I would counter that with a little bit is that so many of the players that we talk about in these days, like you say yourself, right? We all say it, is that they're far more relatable to like the average football fan than the generation was previously. So when they're dealing with the B athletes they have right now, if you look at Mbappe, they're not just dealing with Mbappe, they're dealing with Bondi and everything that community represents. If you look at Sancho, it's not just Sancho, but it's Kennington and where he comes from in South London, they try and hero. And I feel like even their biggest athletes, the new gen ones, they're finding a way to very credibly tie things back on a campaign level and on a creative level to the communities and the people those players represent on their purest level which I think does almost counteract the idea of them not putting on for the grassroots still. Because what they're doing really effectively, as we've seen when Sancho built that pitch in Kennington, right, is they're tying their A-list stars back to the communities they originated from in a very real purposeful way. I think on top of that as well is what we're seeing in terms of not just football, but everywhere is the importance of an actual individual. So for instance, you go to examples, you spoke about Mbappe and you spoke about Sancho. 
their sort of workings with Nike is not just the boot. As you mentioned, it's the social element, but it's they, there's a sense of ownership there and it's become so much more important. It's not just a football boot anymore. Bukayo Saka, in the press release, it, it clearly stated he's not just a football boot. This guy is going to be with us across our lifestyle and so much more. So if you're if footballers are becoming more involved in the conversation now, as we're seeing in terms of fashion, in terms of what they want to do, in terms of what fashion their community projects, etc. If you do that with 50, 100 footballers, that messaging can kind of be watered down a little bit. Whereas if you can do it with 10 really well, you've got a really nice product there. And also, like, I'm, I'm not pocket watching anyone. It probably gets a little bit expensive if you're sort of saying, you know what, we're going to give you all this leverage to do all of this stuff and then we're going to give it to you and then we're going to give it to 100 others. I feel like it loses it. And to be fair, with a lot of the footballers that Nike probably let go, their engagement in terms of compared to the top talent, probably very different. There's not much sort of ambassadorial things they needed from them. So it was like, so we've just got you so no one else can have you, but we're not actually reaping any benefits. We might as well just put all of that effort into a, a closed-knit group and really push that beyond. So you're not, it's just not a boot deal. Like Sandro's boot, we we spoke about that moment for ages and everything that came with it. Mm. Because if it was before, it would have just been a it a, just a you know a different lick of paint to a different boot. It was something we've never seen before, especially for someone in that sort of moment of their career. That is probably their strategy now in terms of we want to encapsulate this and make it bigger. It's not just boots. It's boots and a, your community. It's boots and lifestyle. It's boots and your personal brand. And for me, that is quite a powerful move from them. I've still got that Nando source waiting to be opened at some point <laughs> in time from, from Jaden Sancho himself. Um, that's really interesting. I think one thing with Nike that's really worth talking about just quickly, we've mentioned a little bit about the Jogger Benito back in the day and how they used to market themselves. Obviously, with the Raheem work, with some of the Jaden work, they've been very purpose-first and tried to kind of improve communities and improve the world with a lot of their campaign material and how they sort of move within these circles right now. How much do we miss, like, the Joga Benito running through the airport entertainment aspect of Nike football as it used to be? And is that missing from the current sort of strategy and chat around that brand? We miss it every day. <laughs> every moment seriously that was football like yeah I might be dusted I guess uh looking back on it too too far back but like even for like I don't know people in their early 20s their late teens they recognize that spirit they they can see that in football um you know it might be Wayne Rooney instead of well I mean Dino still like permeates the culture but like to actually have lived those experiences like I guess Wazza maybe extended that at least in a UK sense um, that spirit of like just football as a free-for-all and you just do what you want. Um, now, we, we do miss that, but I think May's touched on it. Like you don't have those big moments. You, you know, there's massive like, activations, like one film drops just before the World Cup, you know, um, like it's just before the 2006 World Cup where they won the previous tournament and they just capitalized on Joga Benito for that period. Um, and that felt like it just dominated that kind of, sense of Joga Benitez like dominated for like four years probably between those that tournament whereas football now you'll get like 15 minutes and that's how you like you can dictate the conversation for that long um so like yeah players individual players do kind of 
run the narratives still. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you'll ever achieve what that was back then because it's just there's too much. There's too much like messaging on the timeline, too many other things going on. But just quickly, before we throw it to Jake, I know you got a point to make. Just quickly, Rod Lewis, you went to um. Do you remember that Nike strike night thing like two or three years ago, right? Where you had, who was there? Like Rashford, Albama Yang. Yeah. Uh, um, Harry Kane was meant to, but he was injured. Um, who won it? Yeah, it was, um, shit, who's the striker? Uh, oh, is it a Peter Silva? Was it Andre yeah, Silva? Yeah, 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 Andre Silva. So what they, what they did, right? They brought together like six of the best strikers in the game at that point in time. I kind of almost had like a, one night only mini tournament and who can score like the techiest goal, basically. I think in theory, that sounded like it could be such a sick moment and sick night, but it didn't seem to catch on in the way that maybe you would have imagined it catching on like 10 years before that point in a way. Yeah, so they live streamed it with um, Poet and Vooj on Facebook. I yeah. think it was, it was someone. But like, um, yeah, that was that was big looking back. Like that would have, that would have been huge. I mean, you wouldn't live stream it 10 years ago. I don't know what it would be, but that concept as a whole. Um, I think they even had like Courtois and goal <laughs> or someone. Uh, maybe at the end. I don't know. Like it wasn't throughout the whole thing. But like it seemed so possible that a player could get injured that night or like a mad viral clip on the timeline would come out of that. Like Harry Kane just nutmegged Thibaut or Aubameyang. Like Ian Wright was on the panel hosting it. Like, you know, rating the goals and stuff. That's nuts. That's like, you know, Nike advert territory. What I do wonder, to be fair, like looking back now, I think like the fact they got Zlatan and Ronaldo to be on the same pitch at the same time, probably for a day shooting, I just can't think that happened these days. Like the, the, the conflicts of schedule and like the power that agents and clubs and different sponsorships have over these people might mean that stuff is just so difficult to get over the line. Jacob, I know you were going to throw something into the mix earlier on. Yeah, I mean, like Jorga Benito in a nutshell is just like, you know, play beautifully. Football was a more beautiful game then. There was a lot more, like, the other thing with it as well, alongside, like, football being in a kind of, like, um, I'm sounding very, very old head here, but, you know, the adverts back then, the Nike Jogger adverts, and even before then, like, the World Cup running through the airport and stuff, TV was a, a lot bigger then. Like, television, it was worth, like... <laughs> This is hilarious, but uh, <laughs> I, I was just hearing myself out loud. It's like, oh my God, just shut up, old man. But uh, nah, like, right, having those groups of players together is one thing. Like, you had real brand affiliation for all these guys sort of like linking up together. Like, they're real, they're, they're the stars of the show for adverts every couple of years for these World Cup or Euros campaigns. And like, you know, bringing them all together on those on the schedules that they have now probably not feasible but then the other thing is as well like what format are you really going to run this on because the first and like the first place you're going to see it is the internet like i i get it would still be I, it, it's just the way in which it's been shot it's not like the big budget that you get for like tv adverts back in the day it's just not the same sort of uh scope for that and just because the yeah you know, the, the way the way the world is different now but like you know the um the original point of like jog bonito and football being more beautiful and like it's a different place of like as it seemed like a more relaxed vibe there's not enough there wasn't as more there was there wasn't like all these sort of like in a matrix of things going on there wasn't like the brand like the agents the all these sort of like 
the time schedules of the individual players and like being able to freely link up, there was sort of less of that back then. Um, and so I would love to see like waves of players affiliated with a certain brand, you know, link up and do like a mad advert again. But I don't know. Obviously, was, was Joe Benito on TV? Yeah. Because how I remember it was, it was like one of the very few things you could watch on a PSP that you could download <laughs> and watch. You could watch like the six little episodes of like the Zlatan um, CR7 one, <laughs> the Brazil changing room kick up thing, like the little Rooney thing. They're all like one minute videos. And it was like the very first time you could actually download shit on the internet, basically. And like I remember watching one on the PSP on repeat, basically, which is kind of mad. So I, I remember it as like a very guerrilla sort of like digital internet first campaign in a way that I think you could still recreate potentially in, in, a, in a modern sort of way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think the flip side of it is that they were prime time TV spots. Yeah. Like every time they came on TV, I was like, Nathan! Nathan's my brother. <laughs> and he would be like running into the room and be like, it's on again! Which would obviously be at like 7pm on all the main channels. Yeah. But I think that what is super innovative, like you say, is that they then also distributed it via these like mad digital means that just were not yeah. widely done at all at the time. Because I use a PSP as well. You know, that was actually a mad way of getting to young people mm. that probably no one else was doing at that time. Yeah, I just think, in a nutshell, times changed. Like, you guys remember the Scorpion Nike advert, right? The tournament. And you had ballers like Henri, Totti, Vieira, Scholes, Van Ronaldo, Carlos. Like, these are, like, the best players in the world. Like, big, big, big names. I don't feel like football has that calibre of names and certainly not just in one brand anymore. And of course, this was like stuff that was, you know, on TV. But now the equivalent to that is Phil Foden recently on TikTok. Everywhere, people love that. Or if you look at what New Balance did now, if you get a couple of ballers and they're all to the same sort of, you know, moment in society and everything, you can do stuff online there. I just feel like so much has changed within society and so much has changed within football that that sort of moment is not a, a go-to anymore. I don't feel like you could get a Joga Benito. And that's why when they kind of reference these things or try to bring back these moments in different ways, it's nice to think back about it. But look at what happened recently when they dropped the Scorpion boot. They tried to do the tournament online. I think it was for Instagram and it didn't hit the same because it's not that moment anymore. Yeah, I think what, what I do find interesting is that, again, like I mean, I remember when we first started doing this sort of work in this job, I used to look at like Adidas and Nike and Adidas would do so much throwback stuff and they still do to be fair. But Adidas every five years, man, I swear they, they re-released the first product boot. Like you can just like, you can like set, set an alarm to it basically. Um, Nike never really did anything that was looking back too much. Whereas like right now in the last year or so, we've had like the total Nike logos put on Premier League balls. We've had the Scorpion tournament live again on a football boot release. We've had like Joga Benito ish products being released with like references to that campaign we've had yeah like total 90 nike fc collections they seem to be tapping back into that sort of like mid noughties football culture they've left behind a little bit and that does make me think that they know they're missing it but they just don't have an idea for how to bring that vibe back very well or for whatever reason they don't want to do it there's two parts there's that and then there's the looking forward part as well so as we've mentioned before, so many silhouettes of football boots or, or apparel have been tweaked. But 
only a few sort of brands have tried to make something new and try and be like, you know what, this is a moment for now. And I feel like naturally because of the way everything's going, you're going to have to make new products. You're going to have to make new moments. And the only way you can really do that is to tap into the current moment. So for instance, MB may have, you know, they might have performed the master stroke here. You get the youngest, the youngest and hottest guys in and you're like, listen guys, you want to make a new football boot. You tell us what you want to see. Or the moment with, um, with Baytees, that's never done before. That's something new. Mm. And it's about the battle now is going to be if you've kind of got legacy stuff that you can keep, you know, getting stuff from that puts you in good stead. But who is going to really put their foot forward and create what's new? I know Puma have been speaking about what the new the new Puma King looks like. All of these conversations is where it becomes really interesting. Who can really lay that mark and say, okay, this is how this is going to be the standard going forward. Yeah, I think what's interesting, we've kind of gone through a little bit like New Balance, obviously, sort of are trying to represent new gen football culture in a very real way, which is sick. Puma with Neymar are going after this sort of mass play strategy to really challenge the big brands. Nike going through a period of consolidation, really holding on to their sort of place as the home of purpose, I guess, and like impactful football culture. Um, what we haven't done is mention Adidas at all, really. Um, and they're sort of the brand who just seems to be content to be doing what they do at the minute without really looking to shift anything massively. Um, Jacob, like you work with Adidas probably maybe as close as anyone else on this sort of call and do know people like the brand better than any of us, really. Like how do you kind of see their role in the in, in the market currently? Um, what are they doing right and where do they need help, do you think? It's quite interesting because they obviously have um, a lot of ambitions to move in a similar vein to how New Balance are doing. And I think, you know, we've got some stuff coming up with them, which indicates that, you know, that that is the direction they're heading. And they've, so they're targeting a lot of, um, and amplifying a lot of their young ballers. Um, there's also sort of like, you know, they've obviously captured Tiago from Nike because the, the Nike deal is disappearing and like dozens of, players leaving Nike, so they've, they've captured like the likes of Thiago there. But it doesn't really seem like a very coherent message from like top to bottom in the same way that you can really see an action plan developed out by New Balance, what they're trying to do and target and like what they're tapping into. It just seems like, okay, they understand that that's the thing, so they're going to go for that and like have a few players elevating the products on like a new young baller perspective. But then, you know, on the, on the top level talent perspective, Messi is kind of coming out of the game like in the, in the next couple of years, like he's not going to be their headline player anymore. Have they got someone to step into that mantle now that he's gone? And like, obviously they kind of like, they, they need that obviously like Nike, Nike Ronaldo is going to be up, but they've got Mbappe already lined up. They've got Sancho lined up. They got, uh, Harland lined up. Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to say they're, they're going to put everything they can to get Harland. They, they have to. Like that, That's surely the only play for Adidas at this point in time, I think. Because like, I don't really view Harland as a Nike guy yet. I know he wears Nike, but I don't see him front and centre of anything they do. Nah. And I feel like he's just the one guy that obviously, if you have this Mbappe Harland conversation going on already, that surely is is like Harland is Adidas's next mm -hmm. Messi, right? 
hundred percent. He's so marketable as well. Like, you know, he's as a, as this character, like this real, like, don't give a fuck character, like about, and like, you say that interviews, the way that he just bangs goals in for fun. He's, he is like dynamite for like Adidas, Nike, Puma, whoever, everyone should be going all in for him. But if there's anyone in the space, it's a hundred percent Adidas. who have got to like, you know, push the boat out and just sign him because like what what they've done that's quite funny is like they've a few times over the last five years they've made their big signing like they obviously did Pogba in some huge deal in 2015 or 16 and like you know Pogba gets way too much hate but is he the next guy to replace Messi probably not sadly at this point in time like Dybala he was their massive guy to front the copper boot and again like he's not quite hit the levels he probably would have hoped he would Jao Felix early days but I would hazard a guess that again he probably won't be the guy that could step into those shoes so it's like they've tried to kind of like plot the next big thing a few different times which does buy into their whole idea around being the brand that's built around innovation but yeah they need to kind of strike while the iron's hot and get someone who is big and is proven I think yeah that's it I think the thing we know from our conversation with Validas is they're being very careful I think it really plays into what you said Corey you know, I don't think they'd ever admit this publicly, but I do think they're very worried about getting it wrong again. So, and I feel like in the current state of play, that is why we see them being quiet and really planning out their moves. We also know that for them, you know, they are going to take a leaf out of other brands' books and really go hard after women's football and grassroots football. I don't realistically think that's going to affect whether they should or shouldn't go after a big player. I think they still will. But it is interesting to see them reflect on some of the decisions they've made and just act ever so slightly more cautiously in the way they're acting, particularly at a time when other brands are, despite the global pandemic and the financial implications of that, making pretty strong financial moves and really putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah. I think the Adidas are a little waiting for the dust to settle a little bit before kind of seeing what's left over in a weird way. And to be honest, I rate it. Like I don't think that's the stupidest thing that they've ever done. Yeah, I agree. I think Adidas as well. Typically, they've always had like their one absolute superstar. So before Messi, obviously with Beckham, for like the 10 years or so, he was the main king of the brand. And in the background to all that, they've always been better at innovation from a performance aspect than other brands. Like from the Predator being the first boot with the leather teeth and whatever, it, whatever that is, through to um, like the Ace boot a few years ago that was the first laceless boot. The F tunit, the F50 tunits in 2005, where you could literally, for whatever reason, screw the boot apart and basically build it yourself. That was a new thing. Like the glitch, where they were delivering boots to you around London. They've always been very good at sort of innovating products and built their whole brand off like being the best in performance. And I guess that also is where they need to keep putting their efforts right, is to be the king of what's next in terms of what you wear and how you play, rather than um, maybe who wears it. One thing they leverage really well is big moves as well. So, like, obviously, the Pogba moment is massive. So, like you're saying, Johnny, they could just be waiting to see, okay, can the situation fall into our hands? Can we make it work the best for us? Like, for instance, if you did get Haaland, for some reason, going to Adidas wearing team, they're tapping into it. They will throw whatever they need to throw at it. Like, they they, they are king of making a moment happen. We've seen that socially. They, they can still do it. So... Yeah, sometimes you have to wait for the market to kind of give you the the path to go and do what you need to do. But yeah, I feel like they're not 
with the signings they still have, they're not in a situation where they need to make the move right this second. They still have big names. We we may not look at the names in the way of the same excitement as we do to some young guys coming through now, but they still have household names there. They still have household names that, that across the world will ring bells. But as you said, they are looking for their next, their next king. And for them, I mean, it only looks like it could be one person to us, but I guess for them, it's about seizing the moment and making sure they, they, they tie up that person properly. I think like some of Adidas football's like best work has been with Arsenal. Um, mm. like they've been really good in terms of capturing the time there. Like if they've perhaps not dropped something with a player on like an elite level, um, they have at least with Arsenal, like just absolutely got that spot on and been really reflexive with it, especially in such a period of time where being an Arsenal fan, you're ready to absolutely hate on anything <laughs> um, that isn't something productive on the pitch. So like hats off to them for that. Like some of that work is so kind of like of this generation. I think like Gen Z, it kind of really captures that that mood that even like Nike have perhaps not quite hit. Like they just dropped sick product, Nike. Like the Sancho boot was sick. It was good. It tied mm-hmm. into like what kids want to wear, what they want to hear about. Whereas with the Arsenal Adidas stuff, it's probably for a slightly older head, even though Arsenal is such a widely supported club and it's just got ratings across the board. Um, and if they can pull that off with like Haaland, like who's making shithousery, like elite, at elite level, like cool again in football, like that reflexive tone of voice, you know, whether he's in another drive commercial spin-off, like, you know, that you can just see that marriage as being like perfect for the internet and the timeline. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I think as well, like you've got to take into the fact that it's, yeah, chestnut checkers. And I think like Adidas lost about 90% of something like that. The first three months of 2020 probably lost even more going forward, like off the back of that year. And they were really, really badly affected by the Euros not happening. So they had to like rethink their strategy in terms of like, okay, what are we going to do? I think they take this time to consolidate. And like that, we'll, what we'll see with the Euros coming in, obviously big sponsors of that. Um, you'll, you'll see some stuff in the next, in the coming months, the lead up to the Euros uh, from them in a big, big way as they've been sort of like plotting in the background some stuff. And I think, um, yeah, obviously uh, everything goes to plan. We see European Championships, London, 2021 mainly being the base of it i think adidas london summer like when we're all optimistic for stuff going back to normal like mm. uh you know in real life stuff happening again like i think adidas can have a big part to play in that so yes one to keep the locks on yeah i mean one final thing i want to kind of throw over the idea of is that we've done really well i think to like recap where all the big brands sit currently in this space and what they're looking to do next and where each of them have their strengths and weaknesses the one thing I was reflecting on while we were kind of putting this plan together was that like, I remember being like a kid 10 years ago, I suppose, well, more than that, 15 years ago, you had Diodora, high tech Reebok in the marketplace in quite a real way. In addition to the brands we spoke about previously. Um, do you think we'll ever see it back where you have the smaller brands having their place on a football pitch too? And do you think the game needs that you need the other brands to have more products, to have different stories to tell, to give other players another place to, get a bag basically um 
yeah, do we, does anyone miss the smaller brands that did exist in football previously? It's an interesting one because those brands were trying to get market share at a time where you probably could try and put your foot in. But establishing that is, is so difficult. However, you do have communities where these brands, like, you know, can still exist. Like, I remember when it was on Reed, it had a Reebok boot, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, how long was that for? It was like, okay, cool, then, on to the next thing. But in terms of shirt manufacturing, it's definitely there. Like, we've seen Hummel. How many um, Premier League teams do they have now? I feel like that's possible. But the actual football boot is very, very difficult. Unless you really go in and really, you know, go for it, it's so, so, so difficult. Like, look how long it took MB to get to where they are now. Like, you had to be able to learn from, not mistakes, but you had to have a strategy. Maybe that strategy doesn't go well. Take learnings and keep pushing. I think Under Armour tried to, you know, dabble, but that that didn't come to pass. I think it is so difficult. But you've got kind of like Pontifolo and Angola that kind of, you know, have heritage boots that people kind of buy into, but they're not for the masses, I suppose. So mm-hmm. as mass plays, I think it's difficult, but there is a space for maybe to still be consumed and still have like a, a, a momentum, a, a moment to it. But mass play, I, I, I highly doubt it. It's just so much investment needed to really push to the forefront. That's it, man. I would love for that to come back. I think that realistically, there's no chance of it happening anytime soon. The, the level of investment, both in terms of the marketing to make it worthwhile on the one hand. But more than that, just the genuine technological innovation there has been in the creation of these boots mm. is just so far beyond. Realistically, what I think any of those brands could achieve, you know, we talked on it already, but probably the amount of manpower that a brand like Adidas has on like a technology level in developing products, how is a small brand meant to compete with that? And when you consider that these players are at the end of the day, elite elite athletes trying to access those marginal games to make their game better. Like, yes, the difference between wearing a top Nike boot or a top Adidas boot might not be that much. But if you are then losing like even two or 3% performance from wearing a boot that just isn't quite up to par, albeit maybe it's still, you know, very decent. I can't see them wanting to do that. And equally, I can't see brands wanting to take that risk given the amount of money it's going to cost. Yeah, I agree. I think one thing as well that I've just remembered as well that probably doesn't make too much sense, but it could be true, is that getting very big picture, like the death of the high street as well, probably does impact those brands' ability to actually get some sort of market share, as May said. Like I remember like going into Esports Direct again back in the day, and you'd be able to find Patrick's, I suppose, there next to like Predators and whatever else. I suppose that doesn't really exist in quite the same way anymore. And like you do just tend to get, well, you go to the brands maybe rather than you go to a store and you see all those options, right? I guess that also plays a part on some level. 100%. My first ever pair of boots ever when I was like a really young kid were New Balance. And it was because we went into a shop and my mum gave me a choice of like price range. And those were the ones that I liked. And that was kind of the process. And had I not actually gone physically into the shop, I just never would have bought those, to be honest. And I think that it is really interesting shift that all of these kids who do start playing football, like four or five years old, maybe seven or eight years old, they're going to be buying boots online, which is a really strange like consumer shift. 
just because you know that's not our experience it's really difficult to imagine at that young age mm-hmm. selecting boots online like you know that wasn't what we did what do you reckon Jacob I always remember like does anyone remember like the pro direct like pamphlets you got back in the day about the boots inside yeah like that was that was the way in which I was like forming my opinions of the boots I was just like looking through all of them like I used to spend hours just like looking through them dreaming about what boots i wanted to get like there's obviously like you know your adidas nikes pumas and stuff and like uh i think uh one of my first pairs of boots was like the shevchenko lottos and like they they had like the mirror plate on the back and like the red and black down the side is after i think it might have been after it was before 2005 obviously when famously missed the pen against dudek great day but the um, yeah, the actual like boot itself was a bit less of a price point than the sort of uh, you know the predators the hundred because there's like the three ranks of predators wasn't there? There's like your baseline like sort of cheap predator. There's the one with like slightly more tongue grooves, and then there's like the one with like the, the full spec pro ones, which are like oh my god, if you got them, you're like big big boy. But uh, the lottos, obviously, I think like they were sick, and Shevchenko wore them, and they were like a decent price. I was like yeah maybe these are kind of like different like a bit of a way but like i would love you know what like and that again kind of we're talking about player power player power being a big thing now but like even then like Shev- the fact that shevchenko wore them and it was a bit of a weird brand the fact that it was lotto and like um say weird but like it was slightly like off the beaten track compared to like the mainline brands like if you got someone like a hector bellerin wearing lotto now and like doing a whole collection with lotto I think there'd be a lot of players invested in Bellerin's brand story and like with a lotto boot, like that could make it work weirdly. Like just because it's so, that would be such a him move to make as well. It's just like, so you know, no one's talking about getting lotto boots for like maybe the best part of like two decades. And now like he just comes back with this mad lotto collection. It's like a logo that loads of kids haven't seen before. I would just love it. It'd be so, it'd be like mental. People, people are laughing at me in the background here, but... What fan, fan fiction live and in effect. <laughs> <laughs> so, nah, it's all good. Football, football heritage. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, just to like wrap up, we've done about an hour on this conversation. We had like a pretty good time carving this space out and sort of, yeah, hopefully giving everyone perspective and context on what exists and where. Just to end it, we're going to throw down the most pointless but evocative debate that exists. Ronaldo and Messi, obviously... They're the old poster boys. They're out of the game. He has named one baller who is like the next poster boy of any brand. Like who's the next up, basically. Who's the next goat? Who are you saying from the current crop? We've, we've said it. It's like Haaland. Well, Mbappe's clear of Haaland still at this point, just by a smidge, but the most marketable talent in the game, clearly. And then Sancho, pretty close. I'm, I'm, I'm Mbappe. I'm Mbappe. I just think he was he's born for it. He's born for it. Messi's given him the keys after he dropped three on Messi's head. It's, it's time. Let's make it happen. I'm with Mays. It's Mbappe for me. He's stone cold killer. Like it's got to be him. Uh, Mbappe wins four to one. All right. Yeah. So that's fine. Like, but at least when he's be lining up for Liverpool, I'll probably be it'll be a five 0 Exactly. Well, good. All right, everyone, appreciate your time. Before we end, I'm going to take a bit of a uh, leaf from Johnny's book and say that if anyone has reached the end of this podcast, you will get a follow back from Versus. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, let's see if it happens or not. Um, all right, appreciate respect. Thanks for your time. That has been the future of football. We will catch you next time.